Hello, everyone. This is Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Welcome to This Week in Bitcoin, super spreading Bitcoin 2022. Today is January the 14th of 2022 strong hand buying over crying be a unique beast fitting in is overrated personal responsibility is a new counterculture buy and hold bitcoin is the next bitcoin in motion i'm offended by selling compete don't complain conviction defiance over compliance oh yeah that was a lot but we got you the best for guests in the space we're here every friday and zach vol makes his return oh i've been looking forward to this for a while brecky is back in the house and bitcoin mechanic this dude is a legend he's making his like uh the first appearance on the show but he's great and it's gonna be awesome hello my elite friends thanks for all the support hey check out the links below pound that like button let's uh start this off by telling you that remember i am pumped because the uh, Miami Bitcoin Conference, Bitcoin 2022, uh, that's coming up on April the 6th and 9th in Miami. We're already in the year 2022. Use the link below to get a discount to get in. Uh, prices are only going up. You can use the Adam 10 discount code. It's all mentioned below. I'm very excited about the event. And I mean, JP Sears is going to be there. Uh, we're going to be able to meet JP Sears in person. That's pretty cool. I'm not usually, uh, I've met a lot of cool people, but I, I'm excited about that. The long, I'll be able to touch his long red hair and uh, laugh at his funny comedy. That's pretty amazing. He's going to be there. All right. So we're pumped about Miami. We'll ask all three of these guys if they're going to be there. It, I, I mean, Brecky and uh, Zach, I was hanging out with them in Miami the last year. We had a, we had a blast down there. All right. But let's get into the news of the week. All right. And the articles of the week, the things that I thought were uh, should, should, we should talk about. We'll start with uh, Bitcoin uh, Mechanic is going to talk about this article from Bitcoin Magazine. Bitcoin is not Democratic Part 1. Problems with democracy. It's by Alex Vetsky. Uh, as the concept of democracy uh, regresses before our eyes, Bitcoin presents a new way of ordering society and incentivizing progress. All right. So at the very least, I think we could say that democracy and Bitcoin kind of clash if you actually know what democracy is. But let's get into this, man. What, is this just a, a clickbait headline, uh, Bitcoin mechanic? Or what's up with Bitcoin and, and democracy? Well, I mean, I like Svetsky, a good friend of his. Uh, I think he's far too kind in his uh, takedown of democracy. I think he's far too generous with it. Um, like... I, I was tweeting out a tweet storm about how shitty democracy was yesterday, like just anyway. And then this whole thing happened and I was, uh, whatever it is I said about it, I said, it's always the elites telling you, oh, they're attacking us for our democracy. We need to protect our democracy. This is an assault on our democracy. Like it's never anyone else talking about it. It's always the people that, uh, that benefit from it being a democracy, the people allegedly representing you. They're the ones that benefit from it. And it's never us, but some people actually, have it filtered down into their subconscious and they believe, yeah, this is a thing I want. I want democracy. I want, if the if a bunch of people disagree with me, I want them to be able to force their will onto me. That would be just awesome if that would happen. That's a positive. I like it. Um, and I think it's too, I think it's too, uh, 
I don't know. I think it's too generous of a stance to take that Svetsky takes because it's worse than any of that. People will really, uh, they genuinely will vote for their own enslavement every time. And if you don't want to get carried on, if you don't want to get dragged down and like, you know, be in the vehicle when someone decides to steer it off a cliff, then you're best off fighting democracy at every turn of the, every step of the way. And people used to complain about republicanism versus democracy, uh, democracy and talk about how there isn't really a meaningful difference and how they both reinforce one another. And I just don't think so. I think, um, I think the founding fathers got it right. They understood that if you start something off with some principles, some immutable principles, meaning they cannot be changed, then that's a much better way to run things because then it doesn't fall prey to demagoguery and uh, the inevitability of democracy. This is the thing about democracy. It's not something to fight for and to cherish. It's an inevitability that you must prevent at all costs because democracy is just people doing what they've been persuaded to do or to support by a charismatic leader, usually against their own interest. And something that is usually undesirable. And this is the thing. People talk about, like... People talk about democracy in the current context. This is what kills me about uh, Corona Nazism and all this bullshit we're living through right now, uh, is that it's super democratic. People actually want this stuff. It's not, it's nothing. The fact that Justin Trudeau up in Canada, where I am, is acting the way he's acting and talking about unvaccinated people the way he's talking about them, that's nothing more than a reflection of the fact that that's what the majority of Canadians want. This is democracy, and I hate it. There's no freedom in it. Absolutely none. Well, another word for democracy or a term for democracy is mob rule with a suit mm -hmm. on. Now, what, how this pertains to Bitcoin, let's, let's try to tie it into Bitcoin here a little bit here. I mean, Bitcoin is, is, is the ultimate in private property, one could say. And in the democracy, the mob can vote to steal your private property. So th th this is a big, big difference between Bitcoin and, and democracy. But B Bitcoin... Uh, no one can vote to take your Bitcoin. No one can take your freaking private property. So I, I don't know if you wanted to you tie in the before we move on to the other guests, the, the difference between Bitcoin and, and, and democracy that, that, that Alex, I guess, alludes to and talks about. Um, Bitcoin is more like a republic. It has some founding principles that cannot be changed, uh, at least not easily. Um, they still require the some active form of maintenance in Bitcoin. We can look at that as the final step of verification, the the large network of nodes that um, that need to be satisfied in order for the proof of work that miners do to be valid and to be worth anything. So the fact that that mechanism is there and the self-reinforcing nature of it, the game theory that glues it all together, that means it's like... It's like American republicanism, which gave us the greatest country ever with the greatest set of values ever. But unfortunately, as now it's become clear, the Constitution is just a piece of paper. If you're not going to defend it, if you're not going to stand up for your freedoms, they will just go. So in Bitcoin, you have a far more robust mechanism of maintaining the founding principles of how the whole system came to be and how it should continue. And it's that makes it it's not just a hard money. It's it's like a it's like this, uh, I, I know we all know Thomas Strollite, right? Uh, I guess, Brecky, you do because you're in Swan, right? And we, we were talking on Spaces about how Bitcoin is, it's the opposite of all other political ideologies. It, it doesn't work on paper, right? We still haven't technically solved the Byzantine generals problem. It's in, in theory, it's still not actually solved. But in practice, Bitcoin works. 
It's the opposite of all other political ideologies where that wasn't real socialism, that wasn't real libertarianism. We need more capitalism, and the problems with capitalism is because we don't have enough capitalism. Everyone gets to say, we, it's not, you didn't try my ideology properly, but Bitcoin's the only one that works, like actually in practice. Even if you say, oh no, this is going to go wrong, that's going to go wrong, it doesn't. It keeps everyone honest, it works really well, you can't get rug pulled. And that was uh, something we were talking about on Spaces with Toma. And I forget why I bring it up. I lost my train of thought, but <laughs> that's it's such a reliable system in that sense. And um, it works on so many levels that like we start saying on a polit our political orientation is Bitcoin. I'm a Bitcoiner. That's it. I don't care if I don't want to say I'm a socialist or a capitalist or a libertarian or any of these things because they're all just only good in theory none of them actually work or are achievable in practice bitcoin is it's the perfect practical solution so yeah what was your what did you, what did you say to sparkle that um adam you said something like um how does bitcoin uh what was your question again because i was going to round uh, off there and i, I forgot mean, how the, the bitcoin can't be you covered it you covered it mob rule that it, the democracy's mob rule with a suit on and that the mob could vote uh, vote away your private property. But in Bitcoin, no one can vote away your private property. No one's taking your freaking Bitcoin. Uh, and it is, this, 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 I mean, it, it, Bitcoin is like pure law. And in, in democracy, the law can be voted away, basically. Yeah. Um, well, let's, uh, let's, let's go to Zach, your, your take on uh, the, the Svetsky article or, or, or Bitcoin and democracy. Sorry, I was muted there. Unmute. <clears throat> there we go. Yeah, yeah it's <clears throat> it's definitely an interesting um, question to think about. I, I don't think there's any one system of government that you can say perfectly uh, like describes how Bitcoin's protocol functions and how the network operates. Um, <clears throat> one second. But like democracy, so I agree, you know, like our current our current system of government um leaves a lot to be desired i think that's a pretty uniformly felt sentiment across all types of parties and political affiliations um and even not just in the united states uh, maybe particularly not in the united states um but you know regarding or relating this back to bitcoin like there are um some elements of democracy that bitcoin adheres to and are, are quite useful in how the network operates obviously um like you can say democracy is mob rule, uh, which maybe carries a bit of a negative connotation, uh, but, you know, sort of neutrally phrasing it, it's just rule by the majority. And majority rule is sort of how we secure uh, the network and prove uh, a valid uh, chain of transactions. Um, the example or the counterexample to this, obviously, is we all get worried if, if any one particular party were to gain a majority of hash rate, um, because then the security of the network would be compromised. And that's just basic, neutral, democratic principles at its core, whatever the majority secures, that's the rule. And that's what we all agree to is valid. Now, in meat space, outside of protocols, when you're dealing with human democracy, um, obviously the majority rule can affect you in, in very negative ways if you disagree with the majority. And so that's sort of where the analogy to Bitcoin being democratic stops, because obviously uh, a physical uh, human majority rule can take things from you or kill you or whatever. Um, but in Bitcoin, the, the sort of democratic principles sort of stop at whatever the majority agrees is the proper blockchain. That's the that's the accurate true ledger. Um, 
but there's other there's i mean there's like communistic principles in, in involved in bitcoin there's different bits and pieces from multiple types of government um so i guess like just the headline here bitcoin is not democratic um like yes and no i mean it just sort of depends on how you want to frame it um and i mean i think there are you know hints of democracy and how bitcoin operates and Democrat, uh, democracy, democratic governments definitely aren't the best system. Um, but, you know, the famous Winston Churchill quote, democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the others. Um, I mean, it's kind of like all governments are, are, are bad. So I think the sentiment among this, like this type of, of Bitcoiner that um, would like, you know, sympathize with what Svetsky wrote here is probably preferring, you know, anarchy uh, to any type of organized government. Um, and you know, that also has its, its pros and cons. Um, there's no, like, there's no like silver bullet for managing humans and, and governing them. Um, there's, there's pros and cons to every system of government, but, uh, yeah, I don't know exactly where I was going with that. I guess just to round it out, like there are hints of democracy in Bitcoin and in some like pretty prominent aspects of Bitcoin. Um, but like, is everything about Bitcoin, like into democracy, like obviously not, no, I don't think so. So yeah, that's all I have to say, I guess. All right. Thank you, Zach. And remember, the article is linked to below. All three of these guys are linked to below. We'll be talking about Bitcoin mining real soon with Zach. He's, I, I, that's one of the reasons I get him on the show. He's, he's got insider information on that thing. <laughs> hey, people, people up in the chat. Look, Charlie Lee is in the freaking chat. Yeah, I know, I know a lot of people. I know a lot of people. Charlie Lee's freaking brother was at the Miami Bitcoin Conference last year. Will Charlie be at the Miami Bitcoin Conference this year? Who knows? Charlie, remember, the last time he was on my show, we said when Bitcoin gets to the six-digit realm, Charlie Lee will be a guest on this show again. So we're not there yet, but we're one day closer to a Bitcoin all-time high. Remember that, people. Remember that. All right, because it always returns to its all-time high. Brecky, Brecky, <laughs> you're out in uh, the West Coast. Tell us about democracy and Bitcoin and whatever. Oh, you're breaking yeah, up there. And, and the article, anything you want to say about what we've been talking about. Sure. Um, I, well, I thought the article was really interesting. Sorry, and, it's and a bad connection. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Um, I, thought, yeah. I thought the article yes. was well-written. Um, I, I tend to agree with Svetsky's critiques of democracy. Um, I don't think I dispute any of that. The, the, the things I, I take issue with really is, is like, and Svetsky's a friend, so I mean this in a nice way, but what's the point of this article? What are you trying? What is the call to action here? You know, Bitcoin fixes everything. Yes. And Bitcoin is a much better system, but you know, I think Bitcoin mechanic was touching on this or maybe Zach, you both were that, you know, it, it's kind of an implicit argument for, anarchy and libertarianism in a way. And if that's the case, well, okay, how do we go from uh, the current democratic system to whatever you're arguing for? And, you know, getting everyone to adopt Bitcoin, I think is part of that. But, you know, that's not going to replace the government. It's not or it's not going to like the government's not going to go away because everyone adopts Bitcoin. So I don't know. Like, I think it's a really interesting article and a really good way to kind of make people think about the problems and flaws of our current democratic system. But man, maybe this will come in part two, so I won't judge it yet. But you know, what's the what's the what's the argument here? What where do we go from this? What should the individuals be thinking about, or should they just be buying Bitcoin and you know somehow in the future all this democratic stuff will be fixed by Bitcoin? But we don't know how yet. 
So that's that's the question I put out to the to the universe right now. That's all. That's all I got. Yeah, I think like, that would be what I'd um, what I would say is undeniably the focus of anyone that wants to get some bang for their buck in trying to be an egalitarian or trying to make the world a better place. It's basically just making technology that undermines the the power of the state to the point where you don't have to you don't have to try and uh, forcibly overpower the government or convince people not to participate in it and defund it or something like that. You can just, you know, like that some sly roundabout way, uh, take the money out of the control of the government. Like, uh, I forget who I'm even quoting there, but we know like the guy who's like, we'll never have good money again until we through mm -hmm. some sly roundabout way, figure out a way. That's, Hayek, I think. we're basically just, yeah, Hayek. we're basically just making uh, technology that roots around, uh, it roots around the the centralized monopoly on violence that is the tool of tyranny that allegedly comes from the masses that is still not justified even if it does come from the masses. So I didn't want to say I'm an anarchist because that's just another one of those isms that doesn't work in practice that sounds good on paper. But again, I find Bitcoin to be a kind of practical anarchy that actually does work. Like anarchy literally meaning um, without rulers rather than lawlessness it just means there is no one in charge of you which is great and that's thought like and bitcoin is the principle of rules not rulers which is fantastic it's great to be ruled by a f it's a game that the there's nothing worse in my opinion than playing a game where someone can change the rules halfway through that sucks that was the whole robin hood fiasco right it's mm -hmm. like hey we we found a way to hack the system like we're gonna we're gonna buy this stock that people have overly shorted and we're gonna win it oh they just changed all the rules on us like we're no longer allowed to buy this stock we've been forced to sell it like bitcoin doesn't it's like uh, play a game guys the rules will never change so if you want to play a game and it, for it to be fair then here's the game you can play and you know, it's worth approaching it with some discipline and some future orientation and some low time preference because you've actually got a chance here. So, yeah, I think the call to action is what I'm doing. Like, I work for Start9. Uh, we, we, we run a node project. Um, uh, we It's a whole Bitcoin stack on a Raspberry Pi, but it's everything else too. So it's the ability to host your own social network and your own chat using the Matrix instance and... Um, and uh, a Mastodon instance. So yeah, you have your own social uh, social network hosted yourself as well. BTC pay server. So you know you don't need to rely on things like Square and things like everything. The idea is that every service we use in the digital realm is dependent on some small clique of people because you're you're basically a child and you you need someone else to host your services for you and they can either allow you access or deny you access and it doesn't matter if you're a sitting president you can get cut off from your access to these services, right? And so the idea is you need to grow up and be an adult and not just not your keys, not your coins, but there's everything else too, right? You, not your social network, not your Mastodon instance, not your social network, not your data, not your, not your file browser if you're using Google Cloud or you know iCloud or Google Drive or any of these things. It's, none of it's yours, right? You're not taking responsibility for any of it. So you're just totally dependent. You're like a kid asking his mom, can you drive me to the store? And if she says no, you can't go because you don't have a car yet. You're not you're not independent. So I think once you go down that path and you get independence with your own digital services, then uh, then it but that's sort of the call to arms. It's just like ignore it. Don't vote for other people. Don't do this stuff. Just build tech that makes the state irrelevant and redundant. And then by default, everyone is free and everyone has to grow up and become self sovereign. 
I think that's the the call to action there. That's at least the one I respond to, and I think it's the noble pursuit in the modern world. <laughs> well said. Well, I I think that uh, Alex might just be trying to protect Bitcoin from uh, all the people that are going to say it should be more democratic. Uh, you know, the people who want to change the rules. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, to cut them off at the pass before uh, before people bring up this. This is a, a FUD attack uh, vector on uh, Bitcoin, saying it's it's not democratic enough and it's destroying democracy. Uh, maybe, maybe that's uh, what, why he uh, wrote the article there, I think. Or is it, I mean, it's, it's something you could take away from it. All right. Let's move on to some other news from this week. And Congressman Tom Emmer out of Minnesota uh, proposed a, a bill to uh, seek the ban to ban the Fed from issuing a digital currency to consumers. Uh, he doesn't want there, there to be a, a Fed coin. There's going to be a Fed coin eventually, but uh, for, for consumers to have access to it. Now, I, I, I think that will happen one day. I guess it's a noble cause on the uh, congressman's part, but uh, I just wanted to see what the, the panel had to think about uh, that news story. So, Zach Vol, we'll start with you. Uh, the uh, the FedCoin uh, bill from Tom Emmer. Yeah, definitely an interesting piece of news. Um, I uh, sorry, some background noise there. Not sure if that came through. I think it's interesting. Um, the the little summary here at the top of the piece says the bill uh, was introduced um, basically to limit or to prevent a CBDC on grounds of like privacy. Uh, risks. Um, and, you know, like, I, I mean, I'm all for privacy as well, but like what privacy is at risk here? We have none already. So what is he trying to protect um, would be my question to him, but still like bravo to his, you know, initiative and thinking. I also agree with you though, Adam, I think it's, you know, inevitable um, that there will be one of these. So this may be more of like a symbolic act instead of, you know, something that he thinks will actually happen. Um, but the Fed, the Fed, uh, U.S. Fed has made it very clear they're not really in a rush to sort of launch a CBDC. They know, like, I mean, technically uh, on balance, like China is far ahead of them in this sort of project, like launching a central bank digital currency. Um, the Fed, uh, you know, has said multiple times, like we, you know, plan to do something like this, but we're not in a rush. We want to do it right whatever right, you know, means. Um, but I think, yeah, ultimately this, you know, probably won't have that big of an effect, but still good on him. Uh, big fan of everybody who wants to protect privacy. Just don't really think there's much left to protect at this point. So, uh, yeah. It's the, he's getting it on record that he was against it, I guess, you know, just, just putting it out there. Yeah. There's, there's no stopping it. And it, it will, well, it's going to be a social credit uh, score. I mean, the thing is, let let them compete, I say. Let them have it. Let the fools buy into it. As long as we're not forced to, to be into it, uh, it, it's, I mean, whatever. The, the 80% are going to do what they're going to do. It's going to be so convenient. Uh, as the other guests mentioned before, I mean, uh, people are begging to be slaves uh, this day, in this day and age in terms of the virus. So uh, they'll, they'll be begging to be uh, financial slaves in terms of uh, having a convenient account with the Fed 
where they can wire you your uh, your money to stay home easily. Uh, all right, but uh, Brecky, your take on this? Um, I don't think I have too much more to add. It's really nice to see that you know there's somebody in Congress who you know kind of gets it, even if what he's proposing is not going to happen. But you know, I think that's one of the the nicer things of this past year is that you know we've seen politicians who get Bitcoin, some who kind of get it, and others who actually really get it. But you know, it's as as broken as democracy is, it's better to have some people in in who are participating who understand what we're you know fighting for than to not have them there. Yeah. All right, uh, mechanic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what do you think about this? Yeah. So uh, I I disagree with Brecky there. Uh, I is specifically when it comes to Bitcoin. Uh, I particularly like having antagonistic. Uh, political environment for Bitcoin to exist in. I don't like it when people like Cynthia Lummis come along and try to make things easier on Bitcoiners because it weakens the system. I think it's a, an inherent trait of anti-fragility that it's not just that it, um, that it, um, well, the main thing is that uh, Bitcoin thrives in an adversarial environment. It doesn't just survive them. It actually does better. Um, the weakest thing about Bitcoin, I think at the moment, is massive amounts of third-party custodians, which is everyone keeping Bitcoin in things like GBTC um, and other things like mining pools getting incredibly big and wanting to regulate themselves with initiatives like Michael Saylor's um, um, uh, the Mining Council, things like that. Those, to me, are very, very dangerous things to exist, and they can only exist in a favorable in, uh, legislative environment. I'd much prefer it when governments go on the attack, on the overt attack, I should say, and make Bitcoin straight up illegal and force everyone to learn self-custody, force the price to go up, force everyone to run a full node. To me, that is literally the most helpful thing they can do to Bitcoin, even though it hurts and it is stressful in the short term when governments do go on the attack. So I'm not a big fan of when they're, um, you know, when they're trying to help us out. Um, and that's usually my take. And it's uh, it's not shared by a lot of the community, but I find recently a lot of new newer Bitcoiners um, actually really don't see it that way at all. They're, they're freaking out and saying, call your senator over and over again a few months ago. Like, you've got to call your senator. We need this. We need that. And I'm like, if you think Bitcoin needs favorable legislation from the United States government, you should sell all of your Bitcoin immediately because it was built deliberately to withstand things like that. And not only is it built to withstand it, it's built to thrive in those circumstances. So, um, but it's, uh, not whether, it's not whether Bitcoin needs those things, because I agree with you. Hmm. But but that's the thing is like, is the mining council going to kill Bitcoin? No. Is Cynthia Lummis' support going to kill Bitcoin? No. So why would I want, Why if I had a preference, why would I want to live in a country where it's illegal than one where it is legal? Uh, I think if it's illegal, we don't need to keep crying and telling everyone, you've got to run your own full node. You've got to learn self-custody because they just do it by default. And the price shoots up as well. I think Nigeria was a good example of that. You um, say they do it by default, but who is they? I think the, the they user. number... I, no, I know what you're saying, but I'm, what I'm saying is that I think the they number is much smaller in that case than it is now. I think if Bitcoin was illegal, you would have far fewer Bitcoiners. And to That's me, true. it's more important that you know we get 10 million Bitcoiners in the U.S. than, you know, yes, Bitcoin would survive and thrive with 5,000 hardcore node running Bitcoiners if it was illegal. But, you know, I want my family, my friends, I want ever, as many people as I know and love and care about to benefit from Bitcoin. And if it was illegal, they wouldn't touch it. So mm. I, I see your point, but, you know, I push back. 
Yeah, I appreciate that because it's not black and white. Um, I do like part of me would love if there were only 5,000 Bitcoiners and then it comes down to the, the last true Scotsman fallacy, right? Like I'd argue that that's all the Bitcoiners there are. If everyone else just has a bunch of GBTC in their retirement account, I would argue straight up you're not even a Bitcoiner. Like, uh, and they think they are. And I'm like, that does more harm than if they just weren't in the first place. But how do you quantify whether that's actually more harmful? Like, I don't know. Like, it's it's definitely debatable, but um, it's more, uh, I don't want to straw man it, but literally the perspective is out there that like we have to have positive treatment from the US government, otherwise Bitcoin's fucked. Oh, sorry. I'm not supposed to. <laughs> I'm supposed to keep this family friendly, but that that notion is out there. I'm like, no, that's that's well, mistaken. I, I like, agree that that's wrong. I just, yeah, and that's an I altcoin. It's an it's an altcoin perspective as well, because they're mm -hmm. like, we cannot be declared a security because we're screwed if we're declared. I'm like, well, Bitcoiners don't care, right? The SEC could come out and say Bitcoin is a security. Like, it's not going to affect anything about at least the way I use Bitcoin. But uh, but you made another point as well in your first response, which I I, I just wanted to amplify because I totally agreed with it. But uh, I can't remember what it was. Oh, that's it. Uh, you you and you both basically agreed on that one on what you said, um, which was um, CBDCs just. In my my basic take on them is just they don't do anything that isn't already being done. So your point that privacy is, uh, you know, what what more have we got to lose when it comes to privacy? There's hardly any left anyway. Well, there is a bit left, and it's it's cash. And um, to me, I've always seen CBDCs as like a hard fork in government money to clear up a bit of technical debt, which is people still have cash. And like as much as we can try and not increase the the maximum denomination and inflate the cost of everything to the point where you can do less and less and less with cash. And in countries like where I'm from in the UK, we'll change bills every few years as well. So if you have a whole bunch of 50 pound notes in a couple of years, you'll need to take them into a bank because they're going to go out of circulation. So they don't tend to do that with the US dollar. So you could have like you could Pablo Escobar it and bury millions of dollars and come back to it 20, 20 years later and it's still actually in circulation, but not in Europe as far as I can see. And cash has a lot of burns. You can't back it up, you know. And I think what will happen with CBDCs is it will be a continuation of ex exactly what we have, but just starting from a place of surveillance. Uh, so it will be worse in every regard, but it will be philosophically identical. They may even issue some sort of cash version of a cbdc where you can get like a voucher or something and it's tradable and it's it's kind of like a bearer asset but you know i think so for in a practical sense we end up exactly where we started so i don't think there are any threat to bitcoin like a lot of people are quite concerned about the existence of them uh, i think if they were a threat to bitcoin then bitcoin wouldn't be able to exist in the current environment and it can exist in the current environment so i'm not worried yeah. I think that's a good point about cash. Um, that probably is, you know, the one bit of privacy um, left in the like the vestige of the fiat money system. Um, and CBDCs was definitely, uh, yeah, definitely hurt that. I did want to go back to something you said though about um, oh adverse environments for Bitcoin. So I I agree with you in part, but I'm not so keen on like inviting adversity into bitcoin i think bitcoin does like strive in, or thrive in you know adverse environments the way i sort of view um you know politicians like this who take friendly stances toward bitcoin is i think a similar view that both of you have expressed although like maybe with slightly different perspectives i see it you know as like probably categorically a good thing but 
I really don't, th I don't think it's like as big of news as, you know, people often make it out to be because like, I think it's great. Like you're on our team now, you, you believe or want to support the things I support. That's cool. But if you decide to leave the team, I don't care either. Like, I mean, it's like you're, it's cool. You're on our team. Um, but I also don't really care if you change your mind and, you know, change views. Um, so I think, I think it's not a bad thing. Although, you know, your point of anti-fragility and, uh, you know, we don't, obviously whatever that cycle is hard times make hard men hard men make easy times all that you don't want that to you know sort of happen with bitcoin where everybody supports it but also at the same time you know the goal of bitcoin is to win and after you win like who's left to challenge you so it's sort of inevitable that you know if this all plays out the way we think it will everyone will sort of be on board in some capacity and everyone who opposes it will you know by definition of winning they'll be defeated um so the adverse environment i don't think I think it has an expiration date is basically what I'm saying. And in the process of getting there, whoever decides they're friends of ours and want to support the same thing we support, that's great. But we don't need them if they change their mind. Um, I agree. There's no, but there's no reason to like antagonize them, I guess, is my thing, which I see. Uh, I don't know. It, the reason I wanted, I wanted to say this is because you made some a comment about trends you see in like newer groups of Bitcoiners, which I agree with. I think... It's, it's very strange to me. I was having a conversation with a Bitcoiner that I actually used to work with. And she said, yeah, a lot of new Bitcoiners seem to be very pro KYC, anti like strict privacy. And I guess I'm not really in those circles. Like I just sort of have like my generation of Bitcoiners that I sort of was introduced to. But it's very sad if that's true. Um, and I think, uh, you know, every group of people has their own sort of flavor of how they approach Bitcoin, whether, you know, it's full stack self-hosted uh, tech all the way or, you know, like your casual GPTC uh, investor. Um, but I definitely think, you know, like some of these things like basic privacy and, and self-sovereignty uh, is like a key a key tenant of, you know, like the most basic level of believing in what Bitcoin stands for, um, regardless of whether you're a communist or anarchist or uh, pro-democracy believer. Um, so I hope that's not the case. Kind of sad if it is. But politics, I think, is just sort of like a sideshow for this whole thing. No reason to antagonize them. If they support what we're doing, that's awesome. Makes it a little bit easier for us. But I think the end game is it becomes easy, completely easy eventually because uh, we'll win. And at that point, there's no adversity left. Uh, exactly. So I hope that we, makes we've sense. We've but... already won, Zach. Okay. We've <laughs> won. We make that sure. clear. Just, you know. I, I believe we've already won too. I think 2017, it was that was the most scary time in Bitcoin's history, in my opinion. And we we absolutely it was stronger than i had faith in it being and since 2017 since surviving all that uh block war bullshit like we i was really happy how that whole thing came out and i'm like if we can survive that we can survive anything because everything else is external i do have these occasional worries about uh, a minor activated soft fork that's somehow coercive and uh you know tries to limit transactions or tries to adhere to like energy use requirements or like greenwashing something like that so things like that do worry me and they do become more possible as a result of initiatives like the mining council and that's why i would sort of you know be scared but also breathe a sigh of relief if they said no one's allowed to mine bitcoin anymore so all the big pools in america shut down and like i'd ask you i want to ask you guys um when china kicked out all the bitcoin miners um how do you see that as a good thing a bad thing um like how do you because that sort of exemplifies my perspective here like the price tanked when they kicked miners out and i was like this is great news so do you know what i mean like this is where i'm like god i'm just not on the same page as so many uh bitcoiners here 
So what do you think of, about that? Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I think it's a great development. And I think I, I think I, I agree with you in the fact that that was, a, that was uh, I don't think there's any way to frame that as long-term bad development for Bitcoin. I think maybe, I don't want to misrepresent your ideas, but I would agree with you if you're sort of saying like, all of these stress tests for Bitcoin are key to prove the network rather than like we want to live in a 24-7 adverse environment forever for Bitcoin, which I don't necessarily agree with. But I think the big block war, the China ban, like the final China ban, all of those are key stress tests for different vectors of the network, all of which ultimately produce very good, healthy, long-term results, even if there's like short-term turbulence around them. Um, but yeah, like the China ban was, it was uh, phenomenal for the health of the network. Like it really sucks because there are a lot of miners still hurting from it. Um, and there's a small subset of miners that I really feel for because they left China, migrated to Kazakhstan. Now Kazakhstan's screwing over miners again, and they're having to relocate a third time, or I guess a second time to a third location. Um, and it's, it's rough for a lot of miners out there still, but you know, hash rate is back at all time highs again like the security of the network recovered like in spades even though all the miners who are who were displaced haven't you know fully recovered themselves yet we feel for them um but it's great great stress test the network obviously passed with flying colors and there will be i think our biggest battles are definitely ahead of us so i agree with you guys we have one but i still don't think the biggest battles are behind us uh for the network and um some of them will be technical some of them will be like political, um, but we'll get through them. It'll, you know, just the, the pattern is the same stress test, short term turbulence, long term success. And that just happens over and over again in different ways. Um, but yeah, the China thing was great for the network overall. Did you have a, what's your perspective on it, Brecky? I mean, Zach just speaks for me. He's, he's, uh, he's a brilliant guy. I don't, I don't have much. I mean, I, yes, like everyone was worried for like, you know, a few minutes i think i i wasn't worried like that's it's one of those things when you've been around bitcoin like long enough you realize it bounces back um yeah. so long term good that's all i got i don't know if if you're a miner man like it just meant you got almost twice the sats for, for your electricity like it was incredible like what's interesting now also is i feel like we're seeing a resurgence it's just starting i think but a resurgence in interest in home mining and individuals mining their yeah. own bitcoin um, and that's really like, that's really exciting to see. I, I don't know what'll happen, like, you know, how, you know, electric, like I live in, in California where electricity costs are just, even if I wanted to do it just for KYC free Bitcoin, it's like, it's, it's cost prohibitive. Right. But you know, in what do you say per kilowatt hour? It's about, I think it's between 20 and 22 cents. That's a lot. Yeah. I, d I did want to jump in there with the mining thing though. Cause, uh, Bitcoin mechanic mentioned uh, a lot of things that I'm also concerned about or that I think would be bad, but I'm not necessarily concerned about. And I want to sort of explain why with the, you know, a lot of the environmental narratives and pushes and initiatives in mining, um, looping this back to what we were talking about earlier with about democratic principles. I think like this is where Bitcoin's Bitcoin's elements of democracy shine, right? Because there will, there will never like, uh, we've seen this before uh, with marathons, like, uh, what was it, FSAC OPEC. or OPEC, yeah, whatever pool, they're trying to censor transactions for compliance. Obviously, miserably failed because they seem to not really understand how transactions work in the network. Um, but 
There are other initiatives like this too, like tokens on Bitcoin that would verify green mining or you know exclusion from pools or transactions um, if you aren't a green miner or whatever. But the democracy part of Bitcoin is beautiful here because there will never be a majority of Bitcoin's hash rate that supports that. So if they want to support that, they can either miss out on solving blocks or go fork off and create their own network. But the majority of hash rate that secures and dictates what ledger is secure and who can participate basically um, will never support that. So if they want to make such a fundamental change in the rules that applies to everyone, basically like you have to be a green miner if you want to participate on the equal playing field with everyone else, uh, that just that won't happen. Um, so I think failed experiments like Marathon censored pool are, are very key sort of uh, case studies that other miners who want to implement stuff like this should should um, observe. But also like the beautiful thing is you can do whatever you want. You just can't necessarily force it on someone else. So if there is a miner who wants to prove like we are 100% solar powered, like that's great. You can do that, but there will never be a future where they can enforce that on everyone else in the network. Um, and that's key. So I don't know if I don't know if I'm as confident in that as you. I want to be, but I like the point is they don't need to be a minor. They don't need to be a majority. They can be a minority. Um, as we've seen, well, that's what 2017 really proved is that a minority enforcing a new rule that doesn't break any of the old rules, i.e., a soft fork, can be only a couple of percent of the total network hash rate. But they are an existential threat to everyone that ignores the. Um, the uh, new rule because eventually you can wipe out the old chain uh, just by get if you ever get longer if you start enforcing new rules say hey we're only one or two percent of the network hash rate like that's what did uh, Mara pool just buy they bought something like 800 million dollars worth of ASIC miners um, and I, d I did the calculations I can't remember what it was but that's a, a big uh, amount of network hash rate to have and if they say okay we're going OFAC compliant again and we're going to do it to the point where we hope other pools just voluntarily jump on board. And, you know, all the miners have been kicked out of China. So let's say we've got 15% of all network hash rate is in America now. And, you know, a third of that, 5% uh, of the network hash rate is enforcing some new external condition, right? So it's, it's a little bit gray. This is the relief for me, is that whether you're green or not is not something the Bitcoin protocol understands. And can, you can't fork it in any way to understand that. But you can... You can just say, as a pool, we mine allegedly green blocks. And we're not discriminating against blocks that don't do that, but we are going to start at this height. And we're going to crawl along at 5% of the speed of the other chain, but we will never get wiped out because we have a new rule. Uh, you don't, so you can carry on, and the nodes will only care about your long, long chain. And But if enough of people start coming over to our chain, eventually we, will, we might get longer than yours. If we can get over 100% of what you have, then we will slowly catch up with you. And the minute we get longer than you, all the nodes will jump on our side. And then that's it. You're wiped out. Anyone that didn't go along with this coercive fork is now going to have all of their block rewards wiped out for maybe hundreds, maybe thousands, maybe tens of thousands of blocks. There'll be an ex ex existential threat. And we'd have to do a, a responsive soft fork or a hard fork of our mm -hmm. own to reject their chain, which that sounds like an absolute nightmare scenario to me. And the only thing that makes me sort of relieved about it uh, is that it's an external condition. It's uh, There's nothing in Bitcoin that understands whether a block is green or not. So I think if that scenario did come, it would be the case that we have actually soft forked and we're only allowing green mined blocks into Bitcoin now. But guess what? Everyone's still burning hydrocarbons anyway. Um, there's no way of enforcing the actual usage of energy in it. All those Russian blocks, like they're still... 
you know, they're still carbon dirty or whatever. So I think ultimately it's a dead end as an attack. And, and like, it's just another thing to keep me up at night that Bitcoin will survive and just go stop worrying so much. So <laughs> no, I, I agree 100% there. I just wanted to uh, tie in back what I was saying before, the reason I'm not concerned. And I'll admit, I think what you're describing is like a, a, feather, a, fork, a feather fork attack on Bitcoin. And I'm not sort of read up on all of the game theory and technical hypotheticals of how all that plays out. But this, the key element here is that that sort of side chain soft fork that would be like, you know, green only will never reach the critical mass necessary to actually execute the attack you're describing because basic profit says miners will stick where the most transactions are. By opting into that chain, you are willfully excluding yourself from over 90% of all of the rewards for participating in the activity of mining. And nobody would logically want to do that unless they're massively subsidized from some sort of external force throwing cash at them to throw away all that profit that they would otherwise receive from just mining normally like everybody else. Yeah. So in theory, it sounds, you know, kind of scary, but actually played out in practice. No one sustainable, at least, is going to forfeit all those profits to mine a small chain and get a fraction of the block rewards and like solve blocks uh, just because all in the name of, you know, being green. I uh, hope so. Right and right there, hope, you know, the attack is dead in the water from basic like profit incentives. In my mind, I hope, I hope you're right. Like again, though, uh, worst case scenario, and this is Bitcoin adversarial thinking. It's everyone's using Lightning. There's barely anything on chain. We've had enough halvings that there's just not enough to sustain miners. And governments come along and say, "Okay, we're going to subsidize you. We're going to treat you like you know Tesla. We're going to just give you endless handouts uh, if you can uh, mine blocks according to the rules we impose on you or that you voluntarily adhere to." Um, then you can make your, your money that way. And then once you introduce that, this was the original argument behind coins that went, we're going to do something useful with our proof of work. We're going to find prime numbers or whatever. Like It was like, no, no, you cannot have economic externalities. The miners must only be economically motivated by what happens inside the network. So governments, of course, can screw with the incentives by saying, hey, mine green blocks. We'll give you $2 million every time you find a block. Or like even just hash. Just hash away and we'll pay you based on your hash rate. So, like, it, it's a worry. Like, and there's even talk from people like Peter Todd, like, eventually we might need to, in, to introduce inflation into Bitcoin just to sustain miners. And it's like, well, it is just a theory, right? That Bitcoin, the 21, can you imagine that if we changed the 21 million limit just because it wasn't sustainable without that? Like, no one, I, no one thinks they want that, but it might be a thing that eventually people are like, yeah, miners are just not sustainable otherwise. Like the transaction fee thing didn't work out. The layer two solutions work too well. You know, could end up being a thing like that. But, you know, I wouldn't, I would just say I keep an open mind to it rather than um, I, I don't try and be too ideological with that one or too sort of zealous with it. Uh, you made one other point I wanted to comment on there as well, but I forget what it is. Um, so mechanic, I have a question for you then. You say this keeps you up at night a little bit. This this, you know, using this example of, you know, governments pressuring people to, you know, green blocks and all that. What about using the system against itself? Like I'm I personally I and I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Like I am very disillusioned with our current democracy, but if there are politicians like the one who's um uh I forget his name who just introduced that bill that's going to fail but, you know, cares about privacy. Um if there are politicians who get it and lobbying groups that get it or that can be convinced to get it, like what is the argument against trying to prevent these outcomes from happening, to, to educate the world about how dumb it is to try to mine a green block? You know, like I'm it's, it's weird on, on one hand, like I 
am totally I'm on the side of you of Bitcoin is opting out and that the system is broken. But you know, if there is a way to mitigate the damage by using the current system, I don't see that as such a bad thing. Even if it's even if it's uh, you know a hopeless effort, like why not try? Yeah, I don't. I would never say it was a, a good and bad thing, black or white, because yeah. there are going to be loads of advantages to it. Like there are people that are just patriotic Americans that are like, America needs to embrace Bitcoin for America's own good, and America's a great country, and I I don't want it to collapse under hyperinflation with no backup plan while some other country like El Salvador, like, okay, that's a stretch, but that, you know, overtakes and becomes a new dominant superpower just because it embraced it. I can understand that perspective completely. And it's, it's a nuanced topic. Like there's loads of pros and cons to it. The only reason I take this sort of hardline position I do is because of the reaction to the China mining ban. I'm like, wow, most people think Bitcoin actually really, really needs like state support. And they're wrong and they shouldn't, they are in Bitcoin for the wrong reasons if they think that. So that's the reason I take that hardline stance because I don't really see that many other, many people taking it. And, mm -hmm. you know, this is cypherpunk technology. It's not crypto. Like we're in different worlds, right? So the, like I agree with you and I, but I, I can't really say it's good or bad. I'm just mm -hmm. saying like in principle, an anti-fragile thing should actually thrive in circumstances where it's attacked. Like, an immune system sort of thing like you know it's like i remember andreas making that analogy years ago with, like do you overly shelter your children cotton wool like hand sanitizer everywhere like that's bad for them in the long term and if you let them run around and play in the dirt and all that stuff they get stronger and tougher and you know it's a it's an old analogy and it's well understood and to take it back to democracy as well like there's one thing i was thinking of where um you have you can have changes occur in a society or a system where it's just a very small intolerant minority, right? And that's that's very anti-democratic. And I think that would be, uh, and like wokeism, like would be a great example of that, right? Like, because it's the majority of people don't care about all this like uh, language policing and you know absurd behavioral things, but it just became a tiny intolerant minority that populated uh, that just sort of overrun silicon valley and just dominated everything else and like has managed to change to some extent uh the english language and all this stuff and that's sort of an analogy for what i fear with soft forks uh with coercive soft forks going on you know it doesn't need to be a 51 percent attack it can just be a tiny little amount because as long as they introduce this new set of intolerant things or a new rule set that can exist in harmony with the old rule set without breaking them changes can occur even if it's only a small amount of people so um that's that, that isn't democratic of course but it, those kinds of changes are what make big changes in allegedly democratic societies all right all right we have we've gone wow down the rabbit hole i i just want to say one thing uh you you've got the adversarial thinking going there uh, you take it to an extreme, and I just don't want everybody to worry. Uh, it's there's. <laughs> I always because after shows like this, people start emailing me. Oh wait, there's going to be a green mining takeover. No, no, no. He's just thinking long term. He's he's looking out for Bitcoin. It's about the adversarial thinking there. So a uh, good job, mechanic, looking out for uh, Bitcoin's uh, best interest and coming up with these scenarios that uh, we we don't hear about uh, that often. I want to say that CS2 sent five bucks in the super chat. Uh, we're, we're $62 we need now to, to get another one Bitcoin show next week. Thank you, dude. He says government's main concern is not that criminals will use Bitcoin 
it is that everyone else will use it. All right. That's uh, some people in, in government. Yeah, de definitely. I mean, uh, the, the freaking uh, what's her face from, from Massachusetts, Elizabeth Warren. She, her main concern is that uh, criminal, not the criminals use Bitcoin, that everyone else will use it. And uh, they won't be able to print as much uh, money anymore and, and buy all the stuff she wants for the government. Um, all right. So let's uh, now that we're, uh, we're, we're talking about mining here we were we got into a mining discussion i i wanted zach to to give us an update on you know his his mind you know he works for a mining company uh but real quick cover the story this week uh we were talking about solo mining uh so, so a, a small operation mind a mind a block got a, got a block reward what was that uh two people i got very lucky mine, a Bitcoin i got, block I got very lucky nice one brecky <laughs> they were both me actually yeah 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 what, what was up with that zach uh, yeah, there were, it's been a big week for solo miners. Um, uh, let me see who was tweeting about it. Um, Khan Kalivas. Yeah, uh, I'm not, I don't know him uh, too well, um, but he posted uh, links to the two blocks. Um, like one solo miner solving a block on their own is, you know, pretty, uh, pretty lucky. Uh, but two in the same week is, is you know, ridiculous. So some crazy luck streaks going on for a couple of these solo miners. Um, one of them looks like he said was only running with 116 terahash. So maybe two old machines uh, or like one uh, almost latest gen. Uh, and then one of them had, I guess, only 126 terahash. Um, so I was, I don't know, like basically the, the idea of mining with pools is, you know, the more hash rate you combine, the more hash rate you throw out the network and the better your odds are of solving a block. And so you get paid out more regularly. Um, for anyone listening who doesn't quite understand how this works, uh, the only reason you would like solo mine is, you know, if you don't really care about regular payouts, you kind of do it as a hobby or, you know, to use some other byproduct from mining, like, I guess, heat being the only other one. Um, you just have machines running, don't really care about uh, receiving the rewards regularly. Uh, but, you know, sometimes, like... It's also often called like, <coughs> excuse me, lottery mining, where you just mine and hope, you know, that something like this happens to you every now and then where, you know, solving one of these blocks at like what we're at, like $45,000 worth of Bitcoin or 43, it probably pays for, you know, at least a couple of years of mining expenses and you can, you know, keep running. Um, but yeah, very rare, very unusual and two in the same week is, you know, kind of crazy. So it's been fun seeing these two, uh, these two miners solve these two blocks here. Yeah, uh, I I wouldn't would you uh, I wouldn't recommend anyone get I mean it's caught it's it's luck and uh, yeah yeah <laughs> did anyone I do guess. the maths and see like how it compares to winning the lottery like they had around 120 terahash right hold on I'll pull up the thread John I think did the numbers um, yesterday okay. all right but when when you're doing the numbers there. Uh, I want to get uh, Zach's opinion on uh, what's it? Jack Dorsey is. Uh, 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 we're officially building an open Bitcoin mining system. What's that about? Is, is Jack Dorsey saving the world here? What's uh, what's going on? <laughs> um, yeah, so I I uh, couldn't give you the exact date, but earlier or last year, I guess now technically, uh, towards the second half of last year. Um, Jack or Square or, or I guess some some part of their like the block corporate umbrella uh, announced plans to build 
what I believe is like an open source ASIC, basically, where they open source plans for uh, mining hardware. Um, and, you know, this just seems, you know, another step in their process and plan to develop and release that, uh, which is really cool. Um, it, so designing ASICs and, and building and manufacturing ASICs and testing them uh, is like very, very capital intensive. Um, and, you know, not really sure when we'll actually see like a, a usable product for them or a reliable usable product from them. Uh, but it's, you know, building it in the open is, is in line with the ethos of Bitcoin. And, you know, if you're pretty much, you have micro BT and um, Bitmain ruling the market here for uh, Bitcoin miners. So a, a third, you know, and, and at that open source uh, competitor um, introducing more hardware, different hardware into the market um, would be great. Uh, and also not to knock Kanan, um, but you know, they've lost a good bit of market share there. So it's, it'll be cool to see new hardware It'll be cool to see open source hardware. Um, and just the question is, you know, when we'll see something uh, reliable and usable. Like miners are, they they want to buy stuff that they know and trust. And they don't really like have much patience for machines that go down a lot, which is why, you know, uh, like everyone, a lot of people used to love Avalon's, uh, Kanan's models, and they had a lot of problems. And once you, you know, you piss off miners, they, they have a hard time like, gambling again, basically on, all right, let's buy their new generation, risk a lot of downtime, risk a lot of money that we'll never recoup. Um, so definitely like some trust to win over, but I think, uh, I think it's, it's a great initiative. Just, you know, they have, they have, they have a lot of work ahead of them for sure. Um, but they seem to be wanting to do the right thing. And, and could, that counts for a lot. Could you comment on Blockstream's development as well? Uh, Blockstream building the, like the green uh, mining farms, I guess. Well, they're coming out with an ASIC as well, too, right? Oh, yeah. They bought uh, Spondulis. Um, yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah. And I think, I mean, they. I don't believe that's open source, but I think they face, you know, a similar thing. Like, they're a similar situation. Um, and I know of at least two other sort of stealth projects right now of people trying to build their own ASICs also for Bitcoin mining. So we're going to see a lot of new hardware coming into the market. Um but like, again, they're going to they have a lot to prove. And, you know, miners aren't really uh, prone to just like they'll, they'll be, yeah, sure. Buy a couple of machines, test them out. Um, but they really need to be proven before, you know, miners are going to go big on on new hardware. Um, so it'll be cool to see these different uh, ASICs hitting the market um, from Square and uh, Spundu or uh, Blockstream and a couple other projects that are still like in development. Um, but yeah, they like. I mean, uh, Bitmain and MicroBT have like almost a decade, uh, like over, well over a decade between the two of them of research and development on how to make the best ASICs uh, for Bitcoin mining. And so it's cool to see all these new competitors coming into the field. Like it's obviously a signal there's lots of profit that they're targeting and the market is very healthy for mining. Um, but, you know, they are new entrants and the incumbents are very well capitalized, have a lot of research and development, have a very good product. So uh, yeah. definitely have their work cut out for them for sure. So I found the numbers, uh, the chances of getting a solo block, uh, you basically have a roughly 0.00006% chance of finding a block before somebody else is expected to find it. So that's, uh, they got, these two guys got very, very lucky. Also, um, this is just low hanging fruit and I don't know why we didn't do it sooner, but every ASIC should just be painted green. This is, seems obvious to me. We'd be green mining. Everyone would be green mining. It would be 
it would just work perfectly. So I don't know why we don't do that. I think everyone should paint their ASICs green. I will I say I do it. love the um, Blockstream's name for their ASIC also. I think Adam tweeted it's like the Cyber Hornet or the Hornet or something. <laughs> Uh, nice. They're going to call their their model, so that's cool branding, and you know, crypto branding goes a long way. So, uh, what happened with the name. Dragon Mint stuff? Did that work out? Uh, I'm not really sure. I don't know too much about that. Fair enough. Well, I, I like I like seeing Jack uh, competing and not complaining. There, that's what it's all about here. Pound that like button, people. What do you guys think about uh, the Bitcoin Legal Defense Fund of Jack Dorsey here? That that came, that news broke this week. Bitcoin mechanic doesn't like it. <laughs> um, yeah, let's start. Yeah, that's because we were talking about government, you know, protection from the government. Yeah, I mean, third parties. What do you? What do you what's your take on it? Uh, it's a it's another mixed thing. I don't want to be too black and white about it. Of course, like the intention of it is flawless. Like I get like we're under attack from this stupid asshole Craig Wright. Um, obvious ridiculous fraud like taking it to extents no one could ever possibly imagine a human could go and still remain out of jail like this amount of legal tomfoolery and just and bad acting it's just insane it's insane i cannot believe this guy is still <laughs> doing what he's doing but well he is bankrolled by calvin right who's billionaire so that does go quite far in, in explaining that so yeah it sucks but, like i've had developers communicate to me personally that they they're deliberately avoiding doing things that would unquestionably be good for Bitcoin because they don't want to get on his radar and be sued. And, uh, the, and the idea that there is some money out there to support them in a, in a scenario where they're facing litigation is definitely a weight off their mind, and it's a good thing. So obviously the intention of it's great. Um, there's always that little like niggling worry in my mind, of course, with things like this where... Um, the 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 source of the money uh, is going to become a potential authority uh, and uh, something that uh, can confine your choices and your actions when it comes to what you do as a developer. So um, nothing really uh, beats anonymous development. Like, and I do think that any Bitcoin developer that says, "Okay, guys, I've I've had fun. Thanks. I've been a, I've been enjoying being a developer for Bitcoin for years. Bye. I'm gonna do something else now." Uh, and just come back as an anonymous developer, and that's that. Like, I I would like to see all of the contributions on core releases being Santa Claus and the fairy, uh, you know, the, <laughs> the tooth fairy and all this stuff. Like, I mean, it's we had the precedent, right? The Satoshi. There's a whole bunch of reasons Satoshi was anonymous. It's not just like it's not just the reasons people think. Like, there's every reason to be an anonymous developer when it comes to Bitcoin. Um, so. Yeah. You know, uh, I, but I think it's, I don't think my concern with the fund is going to end up being an issue. I do think if a Bitcoin developer ever becomes malicious and is a result of corrupt financial incentives from something like Jack Dorsey's thing that started off well intentioned and turned bad, if all of those things came to pass, I still just think people would go, well, I'm not running Bitcoin Core anymore. I'm going to run Knots or I'm going to run some other implementation. So again, Bitcoin would survive it. I think it's good. Uh, it just, I can't help but see everything in this knee jerk adversarial mindset because bitcoin's too important to me i have to care about every single little thing no i agree with that 100 and i i do appreciate i because I, I have i think it's amazing also and i haven't you know fully considered sort of the the potential cons of how all this could play out um and i, I agree you know wherever there's a lot of money concentrated there you know the potential for power to follow with it i think jack's a very benevolent actor there's always a risk though obviously to consider 
but also like my perspective is if this isn't like what Bitcoin taking care of Bitcoin looks like, then what is like you have a very wealthy Bitcoiner who's mm -hmm. pro like with no like sort of force besides his own will, like throwing a lot of money to defend vulnerable people who are helping build the ecosystem. Uh, like it doesn't have to be Jack, it could be an anonymous Bitcoin whale from 2010. Uh, I think that's that's great. And that's, you know, the picture perfect scenario of the network taking care of itself. Um, could, you know, that entity with a lot of money maybe influence things? Um, sure. But I, I don't really, I, that's obviously like a possibility maybe, but I don't really see it as a high risk scenario. Uh, but yeah, I think it's, I think it's great. I do want to say my battery just beeped at me, so it's running low. <laughs> I'm gonna, I might drop off the call here, run upstairs, and have to plug it in. But uh, that's all I had to say about the Jack Dorsey thing. Okay, uh, Brecky, Jack Dorsey. You you brought on too many good guests. They say everything that needs to be said. Yeah, he's a good guy, so we think. There's a risk. There's always a risk. Um, I would like to see more people doing what he's doing. You know, I think there are a lot of these, I know this is easy to say as not a whale and, you know, not controlling tens of thousands of Bitcoin, but there's a lot of whales out there from the early days and we need you come and do good things. Go put up billboards. I don't care, you know, like sponsor meetups, do whatever. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of Bitcoiners who are very wealthy who could be doing a lot of good and maybe they are and they're anonymous. I don't know about it, but, uh, you know. All right. Bitcoin uh, is for humanity, so help humanity. Uh, Zach, I don't want your battery to run out or anything like that. Uh, you are a, you're a prominent guy on Twitter, Zach. Uh, I just want to get your uh, take on uh, Plan B. You uh, you're not you're not Plan B's biggest fan, and uh, the pedestaling of certain models. Uh, people, we say we shouldn't have heroes in Bitcoin, but you shouldn't have. Uh, certain models that are your, your heroes either. So I don't know if you have anything to add to Adam uh, Meister, that you're my saga. Hero. Oh. Does Zach uh, pop out? I think he went and got his charger, right? Uh, he might have. Yeah, yeah, yeah he might have got his. Uh... All right, let me, I, 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 Zach, ah, you see, I, Zach is about to give us his insider information. I want to remind everybody, link to below, a volcano mining music video about Bitcoin. Bitcoin is linked to below. You guys should check it out. Volcano is that from Roger 3000? It's, it's real quick. It's a fan of the show. He made a... Yes, it is. Yes, nice. it is. He made uh, a, love a, Roger. A little... uh, check out yeah, his Ode yeah, yeah. to Satoshi as well. That's honestly one of my favorite pieces of Bitcoin. Um, I've seen this you know, art I've seen. Yeah, You've seen it? No, I haven't. All right. Then, then now, uh, it's, now, it's, now. It read, it's like 10 minutes of Pepe the Frog and Wojaks, and just it's just the most offensive thing. I love it. It's so good. Everything about it. <laughs> as, as we wait, wait for Zach to uh, return and, and tell us about uh, Plan B, well, the, the great uh, big, Bitcoin mechanic, you've made quite an impression today. Are you, do you have plans to uh, uh, be at the uh, Bitcoin conference in uh, Miami in, uh, in April by any chance? So uh, Person? I would love to be there, but um, I don't. I'm not allowed uh, unless I find some way to, you know, do something. I would be stupid to talk about publicly. Uh, I cannot get into America at the moment. They will not let me in. So uh, I'm crying about it. I want to go to Tone's Unconfiscatable uh, conference in uh, Vegas. Um, I want to go to Miami 2022, of course. Um, but what sucks about it is uh, there's no certainty around it. I can't know if I could get into America. I have no idea. So I'm not buying the ticket deliberately. And 
the price keeps going up. So eventually, if I'm like, oh, great, I'm going to be able to go to Miami 2022, the ticket is now five grand. <laughs> so like, I don't know exactly. Maybe I'll get lucky again and get asked to speak. Uh, I got to speak at Miami 2021. So uh, Aaron Van Weerdem hooked me up with a ticket, and I gave a talk on user-activated soft forks. But um, yeah, I don't. I just genuinely don't know how I would get into America at the moment. Um, it's it's great if you're already there and if you're in the right state. It's a very free place. But if you're outside of America, and this this goes way back before COVID, like if you wanted to get into America and you're not an American, you've got to bend over. Like if you want a green card, you've got to have HIV tests. You've got to do all these things that are total violations of your of your right to privacy and and self sovereignty and all that. So it's kind of par for the course. But this just goes too far. I'm hoping this is like the end of the pendulum swing and now we get to go back the other way and it's like wait we we value freedom here and that's not just americans right if you want to come here like you know we're not going to make people undergo medical procedures they don't want that don't work just to come in and attend a bitcoin conference that's ridiculous so in until that day move the conferences to mexico and i will attend them gladly uh, with bells on or el salvador <laughs> all right that is uh it's it's unfortunate it's unfortunate this situation and, and i mean you're coming from canada but does is it because you're you're not a citizen of canada though uh, i'm a permanent resident not a citizen i'm a uk citizen still so but i mean that makes no difference there is no difference between if you're the only thing you can be uh to help you if you're not an american with regards to american citizenship and stuff is either you can claim to be like uh, from a country that's openly homophobic and you can say you're gay and persecuted. So I met a lot of Russians in America that had managed to get green cards that way. Or you can be Cuban and make it there somehow. Um, but if you're from just like a normal Western European or North American or Canadian, there's no advantage whatsoever. Like a Canadian can cross into America uh, six, six months and a day later, realize they overstayed their welcome and get banned for life. So it's, even though they're culturally almost identical, like this, you know, there's just, you have to be very careful. Like you either got to be, from I don't, um, I don't really swing that way, but if you know, for 10 Bitcoin, I would marry you. If that would oh, God. Oh, all right. All right. <laughs> yeah. 20 Bitcoin, 20 Bitcoin. Rain check. You never know. You never know what the best guests in the space are going to bring. All right, Zach, are you there? Are you, can you hear us? Zach is muted. Yeah. There we go. Can you hear me? Yep. Yes. Zach. All right, Zach. I we I wanted to hear your take on a uh, Plan B. I mean, you get a you you battle with the people that are fans of the the Plan B model, and uh, it doesn't seem to be going too well. Uh, I mean, it's going great for me because he said his model would be he would admit it was invalidated, and then you know two weeks before he hit that deadline, he started walking it back. Um, I think. Like he's obviously, you know, a smart dude. I just think he's wrong and smart people are allowed to be wrong. Uh, but I don't like him because he doesn't admit that he's wrong. Um, I also think the model hasn't had a lot of good, um, you know, effects on discourse around Bitcoin. Uh, it's created like an obsession with price and these lower sort of red and yellow dots following each other, hitting certain uh, dollar, dollar denominated price points. Um, and, you know, if that's the most interesting thing to you about Bitcoin, uh, like you're free to focus on that. But I think you're dumb. Um, and I think he's sort of like propagated this all through Bitcoin. Like S2F is like our saving grace. And I think a lot of people have pushed it. And I don't want to be too critical. But and, and like I really 
don't think about it as much as maybe my tweets would allude to. Um, but I think I just think it's all really dumb. And I think he's smart, um, but he's wrong and he doesn't want to admit it. Um, but yeah. Stock, stock. The flow has become a little like bit of a you, mini cult in uh, in Bitcoin, and uh, you know these things. Yeah, like if you want to, if you want something that guarantees that the price of Bitcoin is going to go up, you just need to look at inflation. It's going to keep going up because everything is going to keep going up in mm -hmm. in like dollar denominated value. Um, if you're like in Bitcoin to get like rich, um, I mean maybe that isn't like the purest of intentions. I don't know. Like sure, everyone likes making money. I like when my Bitcoin goes up in value. Uh, but it's not, you know, the thing I think about all day, every day and care about the most. I think there's other reasons, more important reasons to be here. And the S2F model, like sort of as big as it's become, just sort of amplifies that, like make money, number go up, you know, which is like a great meme. I love the meme number go up. It's what gets people interested in Bitcoin. The fact that the price goes up and it's volatile and all this stuff. Uh, but, you know, you at some point you're supposed to like move on from that and focus on other things too. Um, and that just, yeah, it just reinforces an obsession with price that I don't think is, you know, very helpful in the end and it's bad. So we have a lot of reasons to be bullish. Right. And why, and yeah. why, why do we need to focus on a model? That's not, I don't know, that has flaws. I don't, I don't want to go too much down that rabbit hole. That's, no, that's a great point. Like there are so many reasons to be bullish. Like if you want the number to go up, like it, you can find a ton of reasons for why it will keep going up like long-term. Like, you know, over a time frame of like a couple of years. Um, but he's, yeah, I mean, like it's, I don't know. I think it's, it's not great. So <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of it or him. Zach, tell us about uh, your, any mining news. Um, you mean, you mean work for a mining company and everything. What What's up over there that you think people might want to hear about? Yeah, I think. Uh, so since you said that, two things I forgot to, I wanted to touch on. Um, I think Brecky mentioned there's like, you know, a resurgence and it sort of came over the past year of home mining, um, or at least just more broadly, like retail participation in mining, uh, which is great and definitely true. Um, I think it like, I think it's useful for everyone to have some exposure to mining. Like if you're buying and holding Bitcoin, you know, eventually once you're comfortable with that, um, the buying and storage process, um, then like get into mining, like it's just another level of the same game, in my opinion, of like participating in the Bitcoin ecosystem. And there are lots of people trying to make that as easy as possible. Just like, you know, over the past five years, people have tried to make buying and storing Bitcoin as easy as possible. Um, I think you should buy, store Bitcoin a little bit at a time and accumulate hash rate a little bit at a time too. Um, the more it just like decentralizes hash rate, lots of good things come from that. Um, the other thing I was going to comment on in a similar vein was the comment about Marathon buying a ton of machines. And this is probably my least favorite thing about the mining industry because people love to buy lots of machines, which is very easy to do, and then write a press release about them, which is also very easy to do. But finding space to plug those machines in and actually have them power the network or secure the network and be powered uh, is a much more difficult task. And so, like we know from uh, looking at prior earnings from some of these public companies that they've sat on five, eight, 10,000 ASICs at a time that they've, you know, published releases about say, Hey, we have all these ASICs, but they're not running. They're not doing any good. Um, and that's kind of like marathon strategy, not to like, like single them out. I love a bunch of the guys at marathon. Um, some of the things they've done in the past before they had leadership changes, not so great, but their, their strategy is kind of like, let's just hoard ASICs and then we'll put them online. Like as we can, um, 
you know, different strategies for different companies. But just because someone like buys and announces they bought a ton of machines, A, it doesn't mean they have all at the same time because they're, you know, shipped in in phases and doesn't mean they have anywhere to plug them in uh, necessarily. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of like suit hash rate that keeps coming onto the network, but there's also a lot of like retail uh, pleb hash rate coming on. And I think both of those two growing in tandem are a good balance for the network. Um, you know, we need big, heavily capitalized companies participating in the ecosystem. I think that's great. Uh, we also need, you know, lots and lots of thousands, hundreds of thousands of ace of uh, miners with, you know, one, five, 10 ASICs uh, also securing the network. I think, I think both things, both dynamics are good. Um, so I'll stop ranting there, but yeah, lots of fun stuff happening in mining. Um, and also, you know, lots of ways to play smoke and mirrors and, and make things seem a little bit better than, than they are. Uh, so, yeah. Can so we take a mining. few shots at compass? Sure. Go ahead. <laughs> Do you want to start? <laughs> you want me to take a shot at compass? Well, I don't know. I assumed everyone would have something to, 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 I don't know, like, the, the main thing I have with them is just this notion that you're doing anything in the nature of decentralizing the network or, you know, like by having someone mine on your behalf, like there's just not, that's just not a true understanding at all. That's like saying, Hey, you know, hold, like have your own Bitcoin, withdraw them from Coinbase. I'll hold them for you. Like then you're doing self custody. It's like, no, you're not like someone else is still in charge of it. Like not your hash rate, not, you're not, furthering the decentralization of anything there it's like i'm all for hosted mining if it's like if they can someone can go and like get the cheapest electricity in the world and stuff like but don't pretend it's not like that it's not what it is which is like the hash rate's totally not under your control and it's not even really kyc free bitcoin either but so i just find some of those claims a bit disingenuous and then some of the practices too are like just don't buy a miner if it's not going to come online for eight months. Just don't mm -hmm. do it. Like the opportunity cost is insane. Like you definitely would be better off just buying Bitcoin. Like, and from what I hear, everyone that does that ends up waiting months and months and months more than they thought they would as well. So I just, yeah, I'm really, it's a, it's a strategy I'd advise against. I, I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, <clears throat> there's a lot to unpack there. Um, the first thing I'd say is, you know, the, the claim about being better off just buying Bitcoin is not really the case. Um, obviously, because ASICs are positively correlated to the price of Bitcoin. Um, and actually, you know, they appreciate faster than Bitcoin and depreciate slower than Bitcoin when Bitcoin drops. Um, now, if you're so, you know, you're sitting on an ASIC, maybe it isn't mining because there are delays. Um, but that ASIC is still worth, you know, eight. Ten, fifteen thousand dollars, um, and that price goes up when Bitcoin goes up. Um, also, the so the one area where Compass could definitely use improvement is sort of communicating the nature of how mining the, the mining industry works to its customers, um, because delays are part of mining. And so, has Compass, you know, in the past, uh, kind of overpromised and underdelivered in certain ways, or maybe could have done a better job setting expectations. Um, I mean, I think I think that the obvious answer is yes. Um, and it's a it's a brand new company and they're working out some growing pains. Um, but delays are sort of um, the status quo for for mining. And so the job before Compass is like to onboard a whole um, 
group of people who have never had any exposure to mining before into mining and educate them on how the mining market works. You buy Bitcoin on exchange, you instantly deposit it in your wallet, you can withdraw and do whatever you want. You buy an ASIC on Compass, like there are delays before it starts hashing. Like even if there are no uh, unexpected delays, it won't turn on immediately as soon as you buy um, the machine. Um, and to your point about custody, yeah, like Compass makes no, like doesn't pretend that they aren't custodying your machine for you. You have full control over the machine except for SSH access. Um, and if you decide you want to mine at home and not through a hosted facility, um, then we'll send your machine to you. Um, so there are lots of options. I think Compass is sort of the best option, uh, although definitely not sort of mistake uh, and downside free um, for mining, um, especially compared to some of its competitors. But uh, you know, the retail participation in mining takes two forms. One, joining hosted solutions like mine, like uh, Compass, or two, mining at home with cool products we've seen introduced over the past year, like the Black Box from Upstream. Both of those are very valid ways and easy ways for people to get into mining. Um, but if you're, you know, up in the Northeast and anywhere above it, as Mason picks in line in the US, do you want to mine at home and pay 20 cents per kilowatt hour? Or do you want to have someone custody your ASIC and pay six cents per kilowatt hour? Like, I mean, I don't think there's a right answer. It's up to you. Like, but you know the downsides and trade-offs for both options. So you own the ASIC and you can fully control it paying 20 cents per kilowatt hour at home uh, in certain regions of the US, or you can have someone custody the ASIC for you and have them ship it to you if you want. And while they custody it, pay six cents. Um, so really the choice is yours and what you prefer. Um, but, you know, Compass and lots of other people also have direct ASIC sales besides their hosted, uh, hosted products. Um, and the same thing goes for Bitcoin. Like, you know, there are huge advantages to having very liquid custody uh, Bitcoin financial products. Um, but is, is that as safe and secure as custodying all the Bitcoin yourself uh, in cold storage or other, um, you know, self-hosted storage products? Uh, no, everything, the world's full of trade-offs. Um, and has Compass, you know, done a perfect job serving its customers? Uh, no, but it's a brand new company working through growing pains, uh, some of which, you know, are inherent to the mining industry. So, um there's, you know, mistakes made on both sides, misunderstandings on, on some sides, um, but ultimately just comes down to trade-offs uh, for, for mining specifically. Um, although I, I will push back again on like the most ill-informed argument in mining is that you're better off just buying Bitcoin than mining. Because uh, I mean, that's just in no way the case because the value of your miner is tied to Bitcoin. Once you ROI in 12 to maybe 18, max 24 months on your machine, then it's just free revenue, free Bitcoin coming in there. Um, and in most cases, if you're a small scale miner, whether you're mining at home or through a hosted solution, it's pretty, pretty private also. Um, so huge economic advantages from mining. Uh, yeah. You're definitely, definitely better off not just buying Bitcoin, but yeah, again, I, it's up to your preference. Whatever. I, I, I agree with you there. Um, like in, what I want to ask then is why um, that hasn't always been the case. Because I, I agree with you. I don't like the... the uh, This is something I disagree with Luke Jr. about that we talk about a bit, which is exactly what you just said. Like mining, saying people would be just always better off flat out buying Bitcoin instead of buying a miner because they'll never be able to buy the amount of Bitcoin they could have bought if they just bought Bitcoin instead of spending 10 grand on an S19 or whatever. Um, I agree, yeah. Uh, the math at the moment does seem to make it between about... It's around 18 months or something for you to ROI. Um, but this wasn't the case, right? Like, hold on. I've got one of these. Hey, wait, right? a second. wait, wait, wait. 
Brecky has got to say goodbye real quick. So Brecky, okay. we'll, we'll, get, we'll get back to you'll show that in a second. Brecky is going to be in Miami at the conference uh, with Swan. What's up with Swan, Brecky? Say your goodbyes. Swan's doing great. We'll be at the conference. We got some fun things rolling out soon. We got a new show coming out, a couple new shows. So just be on the lookout for that. And that, that's all I got. Love being here, all Adam. Right, Appreciate speaking Have to you fun. guys, Mechanic and Jess. Good to meet See you, man. All right, take it. Bitcoin Mechanic, you were showing something there. Keep on uh, doing. So, Zach, do you remember these? I don't know if my camera's even working. I turned it off and can't figure out how to turn it back on. No, it was on. I, now I see on. your camera. I can't see what you're holding, though. Oh, yeah, there we go. Yep. So this, uh, I think it cost me $200. And at the time, it was I bought it in 2012. So, I mean, we're talking like 4 or $5 Bitcoin. So um, what are we talking about there? That's... Uh, um, uh, that's about 40 Bitcoin, let's say, I could have bought instead of buying that thing. Um, and it never mined anything like that. Like, it did mine whole Bitcoins, but not not much more. Like, and I mean, I it certainly wasn't true at the time when I bought that. I definitely, that argument held up then. If I'd have just bought Bitcoin instead of buying that miner, I would have had a lot more Bitcoin. Um, and to me, that kind of... That changes as time goes on. It doesn't. Would you say it's become increasingly less true the argument uh, that you're better off buying Bitcoin instead of a miner? Is that the general trend? Because it certainly wasn't yeah. the case once. Yeah. So, it, I generally only think about uh, when we talk about mining the, the post ASIC era of mining. So there was a ton of random hardware um, in the market. You know, before uh, late 2012, early 2013 which is, from what you said was probably when you bought that device, uh, just, you know, all sorts of random stuff. And then we actually started getting ASICs uh, introduced in the market. And obviously well, this, is an ASIC. this thing, it was the first ASIC. Right. So that was launched in probably December or November 2012 was when ASICs first were introduced into mining. Yeah. Um, obviously, it can't compete with the hash rate of current ASICs. Um, but, you know, the... The hash rate and the efficiency of, of of ASICs over the past like five to six years even um, have had like incremental improvements, um, but nothing as you know extraordinary as we've seen from like 2012, 2013 to 2015, 2016. Um, and that's like there are lots of reasons for that limitations on how efficient they can make the hardware, um, just sort of chip manufacturing limitations, all sorts of things. Uh, but if you do like basic regression analysis on uh, four different types of strategies over multi-year time periods, you'll almost always find that mining and hodling is one of the most profitable strategies as opposed to mining and selling, uh, mining and mixed selling and hodling, or just buying and hodling. Um, like on multi-year timeframes with uh, most ASICs, um, you are, your most profitable strategy is to mine and hold. Um, Fascinating, instead huh? of just buy and hold or mine and sell. Um, that's, I've never heard that uh, before. That's fascinating. And I'm delighted that that's true because uh, that's what I'm doing at the moment. I mine in my garage with a with um, a pretty recent generation of ASIC and uh, I immerse it so I can um, uh, I can uh, clock it up to, you know, another Overlock 30%. It, yeah, yeah uh, which is yeah. it's great. It's the most fun I've ever had, but I didn't do it expecting to make money off it. 
Uh, and if I'm honest, the amount of like little modifications I've had to do to my house, like put a fan in the garage ceiling, you know, uh, buy copper pipes, buy all the cooling fluid, you know, buy a blowtorch so that I could like, you know, when you add up all these little expenses, it was something where I'm like, I'm not doing this for the money. I'm doing this because this is like the most fun I've ever had. But it, what, from what you're saying, do it. Lots of people do it for that reason too, especially the solo miners we were just talking about, where they do it for fun, they do it as a hobby, um, and you know, once in a while they get lucky. And mining definitely has, you know, pretty steep uh, opex, capex costs. Um, but you know, all the reasons and modifications and tasks you just described are the, the key selling point for lots for why lots of miners like hosted solutions like Compass, where they buy an ASIC, they actually own the serial number for a particular machine. They don't have to deal with the noise or the home modifications or pay their residential power prices. They pay cheaper prices to not hear the ASIC and simply receive payouts uh, to their to their wallet from whatever pool they choose. Um, so again, trade-offs. Um, the data I was citing, um, my friend Austin, who used to be at Great American Mining, uh, I think he's at Galaxy now. Um, he tweeted about this a year or so ago because he got tired of the the misconception also that it's better to just buy Bitcoin than mine and hold Bitcoin. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, it's it's um, definitely not always the case. Uh, and you can certainly be very unprofitable mining Bitcoin. Uh, it's not like, you know, free money. Um, and I always caution people who are interested in mining to get into mining slowly, just like you got into buying Bitcoin slowly, like average yourself into more hash rate a little bit at a time. Just like, I mean, I guess unless some people probably go all in Bitcoin from day one. Um, but slowly buy Bitcoin, slowly accumulate hash rate, hash rate, and you'll do yourself a good service. You're helping the network. Uh, and, and there are different ways to skin the cat of getting into mining. A lot of them, just like there are multiple ways to buy and multiple All right. So let's, let us, yeah, uh, let's, reference. Let's uh, let's wrap up the show here because we we've gone a little over, but we're uh, we're we're pounding that like button. Whoa! Uh, let's uh, Bitcoin. Uh, well, Zach, are you going to be at the Miami Bitcoin conference this year? I got to meet you in person last year. It was awesome. Uh, do, you, do you plan to attend again? <clears throat> yeah, I'm um, not sure yet. Uh, so. Probably I'll be there, but not 100% sure yet. I'll uh, I'll keep you updated. All right, all right. That is uh, that's good. Uh, any anything else you want to add that you were doing down there in Texas? Any events? Anything that got left off you want to mention in your final comments here? Uh, don't think so. It's you know it's the mining capital of the world down here. Uh, not Austin specifically, but Texas. If you're if you're in Bitcoin and ever in Austin, I'm always on Twitter. Just send me a DM. Would love to grab drinks with anybody watching. Um, uh, yeah, I love meeting new Bitcoiners in Austin. It's a great city to be in Bitcoin generally, but great state for mining as well. Well, speaking of the great state of Texas, I will be in Midland, Texas next week. So uh, I've never been there before. I'm curious. So I will be in Texas for a little while uh, very soon. Uh, and I, I do. I was in Dallas uh, recently. It's a, it's quite a great state. Florida and Texas. Number who knows which one's number one, number two. I'm not going to get into all that. All right. Now uh, north north of the border, we got the the uh, Bitcoin mechanic. Any anything you want to add uh, that, that was left out today? Any any conclusionary remarks? You've made a great debut on the show. Uh, thanks for having me, man. I really enjoyed it. Um, please check out. Uh, I just commented in the chat. Um, 
please check out my YouTube channel. Uh, it would be a big help to me if I could get a thousand subs. I'm not far off uh, at the moment. I run uh, my channel is under some attack uh, from some copyright trolls. Um, it's not legitimate, uh, but uh, when you don't have a thousand subs, YouTube will just close your account and you don't have any recourse. So once I get a thousand, I can start doing what I want to do with my channel again. Um, secondly, uh, please check out. Uh, uh, start nine where I work we we run a node project, but uh, so much more than that. It's a very reliable premium product It's not uh, like the free versions you get like umbrella and things like that. It's a it's a paid product It's a as a result. It's far more reliable as premium support uh, It's the best way to run Bitcoin core lightning nodes Reliably unless you're really really know what you're doing and you're able to get something like that Um uh, up and running reliably yourself. It's a personal server rather than a personal computer. And as a result, it needs to be rock solid. So run a Mastodon instance, get away from Twitter if you want. Um, run file browser, get away from uh, iCloud or you know Microsoft's whatever their cloud thing is. Um, run Matrix, get away from um, Telegram and Signal. Self-host all your digital services. Become uh, an adult in the digital realm. Uh, it's one of the greatest things I've ever been a part of is working on this. Uh, it's called the Embassy. Uh, it's called Embassy OS. It, it runs on a Raspberry Pi, but we've just made it hardware agnostic now as well uh, due to a recent Raspberry Pi shortage. So um, it's a really exciting project, start9.com. Uh, please go check it out. Um, there's a, I, I do a demonstration of what it can do as well uh, um, uh, on a Vay's conference, uh, Understanding Bitcoin in Dubai. Uh, you can go and check out the video for that on his channel. Uh, the demo I run through is um, I show File Browser, which is uh, a way of self-hosting your own cloud storage, but it integrates with Pages, Embassy Pages, which lets you um, spin up a Tor hidden service website instantly and you can host any data that's in your cloud and it all integrates seamlessly and it's literally just a few clicks of buttons to have an uncensorable untrackable website that cannot be taken down or cannot be modified and no one can even know who's hosting it literally with a few clicks of a button and it's rock solid so things like that are superpowers uh, i encourage anyone to come and look at it uh, it's a super enthusiastic community just come in and find out what it's all about uh, on Telegram, if you want, start nine Telegram. And of course, we host our own Matrix instance as well. So much better is to come in and talk to us in our self-hosted chat rather than uh, uh, a hosted platform like Telegram or Signal, which is All you know right. not really a solution. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very good. Best freaking guest in the space every Friday. It was freaking hardcore today. And so I'm just reminding everybody, April 6th to 9th in Miami. It's coming up soon. Use the Adam10 discount code. It's linked to below. Click on it. All three of these guests are linked to below on their Twitter. Follow them. Go to their various media places. They're all over. They're doing their thing. They are in motion. I love it. Shabbat Shalom, everybody. I'm Adam Meister, Bitcoin Meister, Disrupt Meister. Subscribe to the channel. Follow me on Twitter at TechBalt, T-E-C-H-B-A-L-T. Have a great weekend. We'll be around next week. And uh, thanks a lot, guests. You were awesome. See you later. Bye-bye, everybody. All right. Peace. Ended it there.